as the children leave. Today we're going to continue our series on their belief based on the Apostles' Creed. So if you've been around church for a while, or maybe not, you'll know that there's uh, actually two creeds. There's the Nicene Creed and there's the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to focus on the Apostles' Creed over this term. Anybody tell me what a creed is, essentially? What we believe. Yeah, okay, so it's basically what we believe. It's basically a statement. If you want to do a bit of church history, enjoy it. Um, it tells you all the stories to how they came to these things and all the different councils of this, that, and t'other that they had to get there. Um, but whatever, what we end up with are two creeds, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, and we're going to look at the Apostles' one. So I thought the very logical place to start is for us to actually go through the creed and read it together. So some churches use this on a weekly basis, and this is the sort of core belief for the Christian church. So let's say it together. I'm, I'm going to be in your way if I go over there. I'm, I'm going to do it. That's going to be in the way. She's out of way. I'll just, I'm not very big. I'll just stand here. Are we ready? The Apostles' Creed. We say together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. And that's what we're going to do over this term, is work our way through those statements. So if there's some of those there and you thought, I'm not sure I get that, I don't know what that means necessarily, fear not. By the end of the term, hopefully you'll at least have a basic understanding of what it means and how it works together. And the reason for doing this term in this format and looking at the creed is because, as you've seen indicated earlier, because we're going to do Talking Jesus in the house groups, my plan is that the two will correspond very nicely. So often people will say to me, I had a great conversation on Thursday, John, it was brilliant. This person I've been praying for for ages, suddenly they opened up and we got talking and I got completely stuck. And when they said, what do you believe about this? I thought, I'm not quite sure what I believe about that. Now, let me just say, if ever you face that situation, just be honest and say, I don't know, but I'll find out when I get back to you. It enables you to keep that conversation going. But certainly don't ever be afraid to say, I just don't know. And certainly don't make it up, all right? So if you don't know, and the idea of this course, really, and we're talking Jesus, corresponding nicely to what we're going to do on a Sunday, is hopefully that we'll equip ourselves. But more than that, we have a beautiful range of people here. And part of that, there are some of us who've been Christians for donkey's years. I did once tell a youth group that I was conceived in my Methodist church, but that wasn't strictly true. What I meant to say was that I had been there ever since I was in the womb. It came out all wrong, but anyway, that was another thing. But for those like me who've grown up in the church all our lives, then so much of these things we can just say so easily without necessarily ensuring that we understand them. If you're here and you're on that journey still and you're exploring what faith is about, then I pray and hope this term will be an excellent one for you as we try and consider what it is we believe, why we believe it, and why it should be important. So today, we're going to start logically, Jimmy Andrews will be proud of us, we're starting at the very beginning. And that is, we're starting with, oh, now it's gone. This new visual's gone. Can we click on it again for us, please? Um, we're going to start with, 
Okay, we'll just go through the creed very quickly. We're going to start with this one. So our line is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So today we're looking at, I believe in God the Father. What is it to call God our Father? What is it to behold him, to understand him, to know him as Father God? Well, before we get too far into that, we need to acknowledge that actually this can be really complicated for some of us. So some of us may come from a situation where actually we've never really known our Father. So to even talk of Father God can seem quite awkward. <coughs> Other of us, we may have had the situation where our Father was not perhaps the person that we wanted him to be. And so in many ways, it raises issues for us as well as we think about Father, because we're immediately projecting our own version of our Father on God. There may be others of us who've had great fathers, but sadly they're no longer with us. And so actually when we talk about fathers, we remember those people, and actually maybe it's tinged with sadness. You see the complications that come. And so just for a moment, I want you to have a challenge. Everybody up for a little challenge? Yes, John. Good. Here's the challenge. Now some of us are going to find this easier than others because some of us are fathers. But I want us all, whatever our gender today, to imagine you're a father. Okay? And I want to see whether you would be a good father. So I'm going to give you three little scenarios. We're going to little vote on our response to how we would respond in these scenarios if our child did this to us. Are you ready? So here's the first one. You're at your son's school. You're watching him in the playground through the school fence. You notice that he's being left out by his group of friends. As a good father, do you? Shout through the fence at his mates to include him. Do you go and tell a teacher about it? Or do you leave him to it as he has to make his own way? Quick vote. Number one, you shout through the fence at his mates. It's quite reassuring. Uh, number two, you go and tell a teacher. Maybe, yeah, okay, one or two, might, yeah, 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 that's reasonable. And finally, we leave him to it, he's got to make his own way. Now, I have to say, 50% of you didn't even participate in that. What's going on, right? See how complicated it is. Okay, number two, are you ready? So, your teenage daughter asked you for £30 to go and buy a new dress. Would you, A, give her the money? <laughs> B, suggest she gets a Saturday job or C, agree to it or agree rather to lend it to her mm. okay, so number one give her the money no. oh, look at that generosity particularly for the teenage daughter <laughs> uh, secondly, suggest she gets a Saturday job yeah, yeah it's alright hard line and finally agree to lend it to her yeah, yeah alright okay. final scenario your son leaves home at 18 to live in a flat with some mates. Two weeks later, he's back knocking on your door having run out of money. Would you, A, take the mick out of him, you knew it wouldn't last, B, talk through with him the responsibilities of living independently and give him his room back, or C, tell him he's not welcome, you've let his room anyway. <laughs> okay, so first one, you take the mick out of him. Oh, you're too nice. Secondly, you talk through with him the responsibilities of independent living. Well done. Right. Finally, you tell him he's not welcome because you've already let his room. Thank you, those teenagers at the back. Let's hope that doesn't happen to you. <laughs> I hope what that illustrates is that actually to be a good father and how we define a good father might actually be complicated as well. To work out what it means and in those decisions. Now, I'm very fortunate, and I say this up front as I talk about this today, in that I believe I had a very good father. I'm incredibly blessed uh, with the man who was my dad. And some of you met him, he came here last term and uh, preached on occasion as well. 
But I don't know how good your general knowledge of cars is, but I want to give you a little story which illustrates how good my father was as I was growing up. So here's a quality motor vehicle. Anybody recognise that one? Allegro. The Austin Allegro. Now, I loved our Austin Allegro. I was 13 years old when I got our Austin Allegro. It wasn't in the classic 70s brand. It was actually in a bright red. It was the coolest car. Cool because prior to that, we'd only ever had minis. So to have a car which actually had a boot was phenomenal, right? I was 13 years old. I loved this car. And one Saturday morning, I kindly offered to my dad that I would drive it out of the garage for him if he wished me to. So I sat in the seat, pulled it forward, Pulled it forward again, because I wasn't a very big little man at 13. Eventually reached the steering wheel, turned the key, and hadn't realised that my dad always parked the car in gear. He parked it in reverse gear, the car bounced three times, I can remember it now, and was hung off the back end of the garage at this point. I know, I know. My father phoned the insurance company... <laughs> and told them honestly that he wasn't driving the car and that I was. And the operator on the other end said, and you've forgiven him for that? <laughs> and my father said, and I was in on the phone call, because you can imagine I had to listen to, that's part of my education, I had to listen to the phone call. And to her amazement, I remember my father said, oh yes, as long as he was okay, it's all right. So she was amazed, we were even more amazed when the insurance company paid up. 550 quid, which in the early 80s was quite a lot of money. So I saw the goodness of my father, or you could say I saw the stupidity of my father for giving me the keys in the first place, depends on trade. But as I said, I am blessed. Uh, he's continued to be loving and gracious to me in all these years on as well. And actually, if I'm honest, one of the reasons that I follow Jesus today is because of what I saw in my father and in my mother and their faith in Jesus and the way it impacted on their lives. And I guess also on the way, it got me let off, bashing off his car. So I am blessed. But I also recognise that it raises a challenge as we think about God as Father, not just for those of us as we all think, or what was our Father like or not like, but actually for those of us who are fathers today, so I include myself in that, how do I compare with God the Father in the way that he cares compassionately for his children? Do I reflect that? in the way I deal with my children. So whatever the circumstances, the Bible as well as the creed refers clearly to God as Father. And Jesus is the first person to do so. And it was a key understanding that Jesus brought to the people at the time was to call him Father. So for example, the disciples asked him, how shall we pray? And he said, we pray our Father. This is the audience participation bit. He said to pray, our Father in heaven. And so he immediately launches into our Father in heaven. And this would have been really radical at the time. So if you think of the Jewish way of doing things, the Israelites would have seen God as this awesome, which he is indeed, awesome and glorious in the temple. To reach God would have meant lots of ritual cleaning. The priests would have done most of the business for them. This God would necessarily then have been slightly distanced, slightly removed. The prophets would have spoken, but God himself would have seemed slightly removed. And then suddenly Jesus comes on the scene and says, Our Father in heaven. Suggests such a close, intimate relationship between God and his Father. He calls him Father. Of course, when we get to the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, we believe God to be one, but in three parts. The Father, a key part of that. And actually, as Jesus explores that and teaches his disciples that, he gets more and more excited. And what's incredible is where some of that comes through. 
So if you know your Bible, then on Monday, Thursday, the day before Good Friday, as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, in that absolute turmoil of knowing that he's going to the cross tomorrow and will die, he prays this. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Look what he prays, Abba, Father, as he goes towards the cross. Abba, Father. And Abba is one of those phrases that's actually really difficult to translate. It's in Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus would have spoken. And it's not translated in our Bibles because it's almost quite difficult to, to, um, to translate. But essentially what it means is daddy. It's that intimate, it's that level of intimacy with God, which is daddy. And so Jesus, on the night before he is crucified, on the night that he's betrayed, he cries out, daddy, daddy, rescue me. Daddy, if this is possible, take this away. But daddy, if this is what I've got to do, then I'll do it. That's how he knows Father God. And the phrase, of course, isn't just used here. So if you're familiar with Romans chapter 8, Paul picks it up there and uses the same phrase. So Paul writes, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Notice that? To, by him we cry. So Jesus says, I've got this intimate relationship with God, Daddy. I'm that close to the Father. And Paul says, because we are now sons and daughters adopted into that relationship with God... We too can cry, Daddy, Father, Daddy. And this is how we know God. This is how we should know God. And as I said, this can be really complicated if we look only to our earthly fathers. And in many ways, what Paul sums up here is so good and gives us such a pointer as to how we should regard God and see him as Father, because it talks here about your adoption into sonship, that as we are adopted in the sons and daughters of God, so we look to him as our father, through that perception that God loves us so much that he picks us up and wants us to be his sons and his daughters, actually in that daddy relationship with him, that God loves us so much that Jesus would come and give his life that we would know him in that way. And there's another clue that Jesus gives us. It's not simply that he cries out, Abba, but actually he says it more clearly than that. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, if we want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. So if you're on that journey today and you're exploring that, then on the back table you'll find a little gospel. It's called Mark's Gospel. It's Mark's version of Jesus' life story. It's only 16 chapters long. It's a very quick read. They're free. Please do take one. Have a read, and you'll see in that the way that Jesus relates so closely to the Father. And then he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. As in, if you want to know what God looks like, look at what's there. One of the frustrations I have, and joys, is that quite often... People will call me Paul, okay? not John. Why? Because when I'm with certain people, I look so much like my father, I do have more hair, although I'm challenged in the back, right? But people will call me Paul because I look so much like my father. Yes? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He's intimately related, intimately like him. So if we want to know what it is to know God the Father get to know Jesus, he shows us what the Father is like. 
If the father word is an issue for you, maybe it's better to think of God as the perfect parent. The perfect parent is always caring, always compassionate, always generous, always encouraging. Gets every answer right to those scenarios we gave earlier. He's always there for us, always faithful. Part of the challenge I think that we need is that we need those people to back us, don't we? So I had a, a, a young woman in my youth group many years ago, and at 17 years old, she was thrown out of home. She was thrown out of home because at about 12 years old, her mother had an affair. Her mother and father had separated. Mother had left the family home, leaving her and her sister with her dad. In staying at home with her dad, her dad increasingly became alcoholic to the point where at 17, she chose to move out of the family home and live above a chip shop just down the road from where we lived. And we supported her all through that time, as she's still a good friend today. One of the joys in seeing her come to faith was seeing God pick her up and assure of how much he loved her when her parents had apparently not. Amazing to see. But I remember speaking to her once and I said to her, you know, isn't it a joy that you've got your church family? And she said, don't misunderstand me, John. It's great. But I still hold out hope that one day my dad will be even slightly interested in me. And I know from talking with some of you, part of the challenge we face is that actually we want that proper relationship and nothing can forfeit that. And while we are church family and we're blessed to have each other, that's great. We still have that deep longing within us for that intimacy, that Abba Father sort of relationship. And yet that's what God offers. God offers that intimacy of knowledge, complete and utter knowledge of you. And complete and utter love for you and compassion for you. When a little kid falls over and grazes its knee, what's the first thing it does? Apart from scream. You know, it runs with those tears in its eyes if they're not sobbing away. It runs straight to a parent. You know, and it does that whole lift me up. You know, it's a beautiful picture of the way God works as well. Because <coughs> as that parent picks them up and reassures them, so God does exactly the same. He picks us up, he reassures us, and expresses that love to us. We're going to look at the best example in Scripture of God the Father. And so we're going to look at the prodigal son. You've got some Bibles there in front of you. If you'd like to grab one, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. And verses 11 to 24. Luke chapter 15 and verses 11 to 24. And this story is a very famous story. It's a parable that Jesus told. A parable is a story that illustrates a truth. And you'll find that on page 1049 in these Bibles. It's quite a long passage. So if you're not familiar with reading, we'd rather just listen, do listen, and visualise what goes on. And Jesus told this story, it's always called the parable of the lost son, but many people comment that actually it should be called the parable of the loving father. Think of it in those terms, as Mike kindly reads it to us. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, 
the youngest son, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Lovely. Thanks, Mike, very much. Keep your Bibles open. We're just going to have a look very briefly at some of the characteristics of the father that are in the story. And we're going to look through very quickly at these verses. First off, we notice about the father in the story that he allows the son to make his mistake. To go to his father and to say, give me my inheritance, I want to go. When do you get your inheritance? When somebody's dead. So basically what he's doing is going to his father and saying, father, I want you to be dead, but failing that, just give me the cash now, I'll have it anyway. And the father gives him the cash. What do we take from that? I think that our God is not controlling. You know, our God allows us to make our own mistakes. This Father God is not overbearing. He allows us to make our own choices, our own free will, if you like. But see then even more the responsibility of making wise decisions. Because this son finds out that certainly, while God not may, be, may not be controlling, it's a jolly good job that he's full of grace, and he discovers that later. So the son runs off, squanders his uh, money. I remember watching a Scripture Union film when I was a teenager in which they described how he squandered his money, <laughs> which was quite interesting. There were a lot of shady ladies, from what I remember from this video. He squandered his money, and he gets to his senses, and he realises that, you know, why am I doing this? <coughs> Even the servants at home are doing better than I'm doing. Let me go back to my father. He rehearses this beautiful uh, story of what he's going to say. You know, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I've, I've codged this one up. Look, my friend, I need you. Father, help me. 
But what I love in this passage is that we see the heart of this Father God. Because we notice that he's daily looking out for the Son. So you get this image of this father whose son has basically stuck two fingers up to him and gone off, taken all his money, and yet this God keeps looking and keeps searching and is always there waiting. It's like the sort of person who would be expectant at the window every day hoping that someone would come back. A beautiful picture of how God believes in us and how he continuously waits for us and reaches out for us. Always believing, always hoping, and always just waiting for us to return. And folks, the joy of that is that, that applies whether we've wandered far away from him or whether we've been following him for a while and we still mess up. Remember that God is still looking. Remember that there is no sin that Jesus hasn't paid the price for. And he is waiting for us to return to him. He's always hoping, always believing. And then we get this beautiful picture as he comes back, where he's absolutely thrilled. The father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. Notice the son's speech. The one that he's rehearsed doesn't even get the slightest breath to start to give that speech. It's as if the father just whips him off off the ground and says, you're home, everything I've hoped for is now restored. You're there again, my heart is alive again, my world's complete, everything's good, you're back completely, you're forgiven completely. Here's everything that you can imagine. The fattened calf, which in those days, that would have been a great little butchering job, that was great. The butcher would have been well over the moon. Everything was given, everything was dedicated. The ring's put on his finger, that ring, that seal of authority, back on his finger. The robe is back on, he's fully back at that point. He's treated like a lord. He's made the son who's going to have all that inheritance. He's put back in the right place. And Jesus tells this story simply to illustrate God's love for us as the father. The Father God who is always for us, always believing in us. And whether we stick to, us, stick to him like glue, whether we wander away from him, he's always faithful that as we turn back to him, he picks us up, he celebrates, he delights in the fact that we are his. Because the fact is he couldn't love you more. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Father that keeps on giving. And I end with this. There's a beautiful line here. This is probably one of my favourite lines in the whole of the Bible. Jesus says this in verse 20 of this story. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arm round him and kissed him. If you were with us this time last year, we were looking at Joseph and Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. And we were going through the story of Joseph. And if you know that story, you'll know that the Technicolor Dreamcoat, as Andrew Lloyd Webber put it, that great coat, would have had beautiful skirts that would have gone right down to the ground. And one of the reasons that Joseph was given that by his father was it clearly demonstrated that there was no way he was going to be a farm labourer. There was no way he was going to be a man of toil. He was the executive, he was the honoured son, he was the son who others would do it for him because he was going to be in this great gang. 
And Israelite men at this time would have worn those if they were the top dog, if they were at the top of their game, if you like. And the image that we get here is of a, of a father God, the father in the story who is waiting, there in all his skirts, in all his regalia, dressed up. The reason they wore those skirts was to illustrate that they couldn't do anything physical. What does Jesus say? He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You get this idea, this messiness of this father as he picks up all these skirts and legs it down the road because he's seen him. And notice, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Look at the heart of God that we see in this father God. He sees him all the way down the bottom of Fourth Street and legs it. Folks, look at the truth here, that if you still feel that you are a long way off from knowing this Father God, he's seen you, he spots you, and the beautiful picture is that he comes running out to you. Abba, Father, the Daddy that comes after us. And this Father, this Father God, in all his splendour, and all the wonder of the messiness of picking up those skirts and legging it down Fourth Street after you, is the God that we seek to follow in being like Life Church in Bodmin. It's the God who gives us that relationship with him. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus paid for us. The Father who is the Father to the fatherless. The Father who is the Father to those who have great dads. The Father who above all shows us what it is to be loving, to be full of grace, to be saving, to always be ready for others to reach him and to know him and to grow in him. I don't know where you're at this afternoon, but I do know this, that we serve a Father God who is always watching, always waiting. And I know that we are only ever one step away from him, no matter how far we might feel. And that step is simply of turning back to him and asking him again to hold us, to sweep us up, to throw his arms around us and to kiss us and to reassure us that we're his, that we're his son, that we're his daughter. I believe in God the Father Almighty. My prayer is that all of us do. My prayer is that as we go through this year we learn more and more of what it is to know the beauty of that Father who loves us so much. Because the more we know that, the more we're going to want to share it with others as well.